This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions about software engineering topics at least once a month. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for supporting the podcast. Welcome, listeners. This is the first installment of a two-part series on the theory and the emerging practice of what is called feature-oriented software development, or FOSD in short. In this episode, we bring to you an interview with Sven Appel. Sven leads the software product line research group at the University of Passau in Germany, and he has been contributing substantially to the field of feature-oriented software development for more than 10 years. After having watched FOSD and Sven's work up close for a couple of years, I got the opportunity to pay him a short visit in September 2010. This visit was a perfect opportunity to ask him for giving an interview to share with you. As already mentioned, this is the first part of the interview recorded with Sven. This first part focuses on a history of ideas in FOSD. The second installment will follow in approximately two weeks from now. It will cover programming language and tooling support for feature orientation. In this episode, Swain provides you with some background on the concept of features and feature orientation. He will explain some key terms such as feature, feature models, feature modules, the feature interaction problem, or the optional feature problem. In doing so, Swain shows that feature orientation covers all phases of the software lifecycle, including analysis, design and programming techniques, engineering methods, languages, and tool support. Sven stresses the links between FOSD on the one hand and generative programming and software product lines on the other hand. You will learn that you most probably have already experienced some problems tackled by feature orientation when creating your pieces of software and that FOSD is not quite about building software from Lego blocks only. Enjoy listening. Okay, um, I'd like to welcome you to this show and episode of SE Radio. Um, today, we talk about a interesting uh, issue in software engineering, which is both an old, a next, and probably even a new um, topic. Um, by the way, my name is Stefan Sobernick. This is one of my first episodes that I'm recording for SE Radio. Uh, and today I'm happy to uh, welcome my guest and actually host uh, at Passau, Sven Upper. Hi, Sven. Hello. Um, yeah, so I'm currently spending... Um, uh, some time in the research uh, visit at the University of Passau at the Department of um, Mathematics and in Informatics. Uh, I am, in short. But maybe, Sven, I can ask you to introduce yourself and just give some background on your academic life and your interest in feature-oriented software development. Okay, thank you, Stefan, for inviting me. So I'm very happy uh, to be here with you in an interview. Um, um, I'm here in, in, in Passau since 2007 and uh, I lead a, a research group on software product lines. The research group or the junior research group is funded within the Aminuta program of the German Research Foundation and it is uh, essentially, so the, the ag agenda of the uh, research group is essentially mm. in the field of feature-oriented software development and um, I did my PhD in Magdeburg, Germany And since that time, I'm interested in this field, and I cooperate with uh, with, with leading researchers that uh, yeah, that are the the pillars mm -hmm. of so the this, key figures uh, in the scene. The key figures, right, mm -hmm. in this scene. Yes. So um, when we talk about feature-oriented software development, I mean there are 
that there's one particular word in there. It's feature oriented, and um, so me as a as a developer, um, so I'm acting both as a as a researcher and a developer. What is so painful for me if I'm acting as a software engineer as a developer when when I do my everyday software development that I would passionately appreciate um, what is called a feature oriented development approach. Okay, uh, well, um, today's software systems are the most complex systems or artifacts that we know. They are more complex than the most machines. And we really struggle with this complexity. So uh, many things like bugs or uh, situations where we miss deadlines or deliver suboptimal products are, are caused by complexity. And a, a goal of software engineering in general is to, to minimize and handle complexity especially uh, accidental complexity so there you know there's an inherent complexity in the problem we want to solve but there's lots of accidental complexity uh, caused by suboptimal tools methods programming language programming languages and so on and feature oriented software development as a development or a software engineering paradigm Uh, that aims at easing software construction by improving the structure of software on the one hand and by increasing the level of automation to to generate software. I guess that's a key term, automation. Um, right. in the, in the I think it's b both things are equal, equally important. It's about structure, which also uh, is about, you know, maintenance and program comprehension and automations of course they are they uh, they interplay these these two issues and uh, the most popular application area of uh, of feature oriented software development is to develop software product lines so families of software systems ah, okay so the the um I mean, there is an obvious, I mean, you just mentioned it, this link between software product lines software product families and feature oriented development is there does it mean that me as a developer I'm only um, meant to be interested in feature-oriented software development when I do software product lines. No, so um, there's, there there are two two issues here. First, there's this product line community and people that explicitly look at families of software systems, but there are also voices uh, in the community. For example, uh, William Cook uh, once said that he expects that really um, over 80 percent of all software systems are software product lines but the people are not aware of it. So what is a software product line? A pro software product line is a family of similar software systems. And in software product line engineering, you would like to take advantage of the similarity. You, you don't want to implement them all off scratch and to, you know, to uh, reinvent the wheel all the time. You would like to do it. You would like to have reuse. You would like to, you know, if, if you have reusable software artifacts, you would like to automate uh, and generate these similar systems so that's uh, that's uh, software product line engineering and so feature-oriented software development is not only about software product lines but you know about um, reusable and customizable software and easing software development by automation so you both say that i'm probably not even aware to have developed in my yes. past life uh, something which which um um Yeah, can be called the software product line, a software product family, and at the same time, I don't really have to do it, but still, feature-oriented software development, whatever it will turn out to be, in your in your um, uh, explanations, is still usable um, to me. Yeah? Yes, it's um, uh, the the desire for for having you know families of softwares, essentially for having the opportunity to tailor 
your software code base to different desires um, uh, is, is uh, really widespread. For example, the, the, the people who developed the Linux kernel, right? They, they do not really talk about that this is a product line. But essentially, you have over 6,000 to 8,000 switches to configure the system during and, 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 and generate different variants mm -hmm. and configurations of, of the, the you know, what is called the kernel uh, actually yeah. what is called the kernel right yeah. and uh, essentially this is a product line and there's uh, recently some uh, academic interest in this and understanding how uh, modern academic uh, product line techniques can be used to improve the situation in developing the Linux kernel and uh, um, yeah improve the situation in general in software product line mm -hmm. engineering mm -hmm. cool um, so the The if I imagine um, in my role as a developer, I can just think of a can, can I think of a of a kind of a stack dispenser component uh, as a as a kind of product line? Is this is this um, diff, uh, a stack implementation? Mm -hmm. Is this a, is this can this be considered? Can this turn into a product line at some point? And and so there are feature techniques in the end that come up with yes. some yes, assistance uh, in in developing a stack. Yes, it's uh, every software where you can imagine variants can be a software product line but the term software product line is commonly used in a broader sense where you really have um, an economic pressure right you would like to 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 serve a market segment and then it it makes sense uh, to not to reinvent the wheel but of course if you're a developer and develop your stack then uh, and you have different kinds of stacks or so a synchronized stack a locked stack or a per persistent stack You can you have the same decision. You can say uh, implement or re-implement the stack, or the each variant of the stack. Or I can have a stack product line where I generate these variants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And at the end, uh, there are um, a lot of mainstream techniques like generics to to support you in that. But uh, these techniques have problems, you know, when these product lines getting larger. So. so that's the the scaling, so to say, is the is an issue is where, where, problem, where, where a, a principled approach of software engineering comes handy at some point. Yeah, so it's the the large scale system which poses right. problems. Right. So there, there you get the problems, and that makes sense to invest in product line technology. In these efforts behind. Yeah, right, cool. in these and efforts. That's a nice catchphrase. Then, um, maybe for for the interested listeners um the I, i might provide some reference so we we had these interesting terms now like software product lines software product families um generative programming um so the uh se radio already provided some 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 um installments and uh, recordings of for instance um uh, christoph janetsky um and uh, a couple of of um Yeah, more interactive um, episodes on software product lines. So um, in our um, resource collection at the end, or which actually comes with the episode later on, you will find the pointers to these previous um, episodes. But um, maybe to um, take a more um, um, critical or provocative um, angle, uh, recently I came across um, a saying of Oskar Nierstras, um in his blog entry to the last um, JOT, the Journal of Object, Tec uh, Object Technology, um, where he summarizes 10 things that he hates about object-oriented programming. And um, one interesting catchword I came across, or which somehow caught my attention, was 
And that's what I thought about when I listened to um, feature orientation or was just thinking about the term. Um, somehow it seems that feature orientation claims that, and as Oscar says, objects are not enough. We need something else, so to say. And there have been, over the years, um, we have needed frameworks, components, aspects, services. Are these just buzzwords? Or uh, is feature orientation just another twist in these um, in these traditions or in these lines of research and software practice? Or is there something which, which um, feature orientation um, offers beyond objects? Yeah? So if we take object orientation, so to say, as the starting point, what is the increment offered by feature orientation? Yes, uh, so there, there are many questions here. Yeah, I know. Uh, so <laughs> the, the first question is uh, that, that I would like to answer is what, what offers feature orientation uh, compared to conventional object-oriented okay. programming? You take the um, <laughs> Basically, feature orientation offers abstraction at a larger granularity than objects. So the observation is typically a feature is uh, not implemented by a single object or a single class, but... Um, only the collaboration of, of multiple objects allows them uh, to implement a feature. So, for example, if you uh, see transaction management as a feature, so some database systems have a transaction management and some don't, so it's, it's a feature you would like to make optional and you would like to encapsulate it in a, in a module. So you cannot write a single class or a single object that implements tra transaction management. So you have many objects that represent, for example, transactions that represent um, a transaction management that, that represent uh, the data structures um, that, that are being locked. And uh, it, in, in object-oriented programming, you cannot encapsulate or modularize all these parts or, or these different objects into a single unit and it's it's uh, it's not enough to put them in just in a package or in a service because you have this issue of cross-cutting. Cross-cutting means you know that uh, the code of a feature is really scattered across. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. think, think of transaction management. Try to build a database system in one package and implement the transaction management in another package. Uh, you end up with modifying the database in many ways to involve spots. the transaction yeah. management. It's simply not possible, and that's what what's called cross-cutting. It's a popular term uh, by the AOSD community, okay. so aspect-oriented software development, which is um, related yeah, we can, we to feature-orientation. We'll come back to that particular issue later on um, as a kind of closing remark when it comes to aspect-orientation and I'll probably come back to, to this one yes. Um, yes. Um, later on. Yeah. Yes, and uh, in, in the past there have been uh, several attempts to uh, to fix the problems of object orientation. There are further problems which are not addressed by feature orientation. But uh, um, the first attempts to you know to providing large scale ab abstractions were components. So you, the, the idea of a component is to to implement a composable reusable unit which consists of several objects right and uh, that's essentially the same idea and feature orientation only uh, the, the only difference is that um, you use different modularization mechanisms because you have the goal to uh, to modular modularize a feature and uh, that makes it difficult. So it's, for example, it's difficult to implement transaction management in a core component. So that's not possible, even though there's some work on service-oriented database systems, but usually transaction management is not a service. Um, an interesting relation here is patterns. 
pattern patterns or the work on the on, on design patterns shows you that uh, design problems uh, are scattered across different objects so that's many uh, many design patterns consist of different objects and roles etc and that's an, a, a, a perfect motivation for feature orientation you would like you know to encapsulate those things mm -hmm. so um Basically, to summarize or make make a summarizing line, um, you you uh, feature orientation adds this 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 or tries to tackle um, a set of abstraction mismatches or deficiencies in conventional object orientation. Can, right. can we can we? Uh, it's right. a feature-oriented programming, maybe, if we want to... That's, that's more a re result. So the idea of feature orientation or feature-oriented software development is to to have features. So features are the central abstractions in feature-oriented software development and to modularize them, to make them explicit in the implementation. And the result is that we ha have to provide novel modularization mechanisms to make them explicit so that's you know the desire to make features explicit is is um, is the driving thing here so we are the 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 goal of fosd is not so much improving not not so much about improving languages programming languages per se it's more about the holistic picture you would like to um, make features explicit and to improve the structure this way and to increase the level of automations but but we can get back to the issue yeah. what the feature yeah. really is yeah. so that's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're still important question we're still ahead <laughs> so to say of the of this main yeah. issue but um maybe let, let's let's um close this this introductory part with with um a kind of last um attempt to to catch the interest of our of our listeners um so again me as a as a everyday um in my everyday work as an engineer as a developer um interacting with my IDE, with my standard IDE, like Eclipse or NetBeans or Visual Studio, uh, and with my fa favorite or uh, expected programming language, um, the stock programming languages which are available. Um, are there certain, and now um, between brackets, features in my favorite programming language or this IDE, which support feature orientation? Am I using feature orientation in my everyday work already? Or feature-oriented programming, maybe to be more explicit. The, the interesting thing is that uh, it's it's like with product lines. So in everyday programming, you implement features all the time. So features is that uh, a feature is, is not a new concept in the sense that we say here that that's, that's a new abstraction mechanism. I mean, you implement features. So if you have your customer and uh, he says he would like to have a transaction management, then you implement it in your code base using object-oriented techniques. The problem is that um, when once you implemented this feature, it tends to vanish in the code base. So you don't have, you don't see where the code of the transaction manage, management code is because it is scattered across the code base. And the AOSD community looks at this issue, and also the tracing community. So they try somehow to keep track of the mapping between what the customer thinks. So that's what we call the problem space, and and what the programmer does. That's the solution space, the implementation, and uh, in in this sense, um, there is feature orientation or features all around. And feature orientation is about making this explicit, this link between the features and the code structure. So essentially, you would like to make features explicit in a design and code base. And um, later I will explain how this uh, improves, for example, program comprehension and also automation once you accept this idea. 
and uh, um, in, in, in mainstream IDEs you don't have support for uh, for features but there are some uh, some tools that are popular in, in the product line community for example pure variance that uh, supports feature orientation in, in several respects and there are also academic prototypes like feature IDE It's a programming language level. Um, we talked about programming language mechanisms, modularization mechanisms. We see that um, basic research results now uh, begin to emerge in mainstream languages like uh, partial classes in, in C-sharp or Mixins in Ruby. So these are quite old concepts and used in feature-oriented languages and they they are uh, often used in FOSD to implement and separate mm -hmm. the code of features. Mm -hmm. So you see that so emerging. Basically, um, um, a major share of, of our listeners, there's a good chance that they already touched some kind of feature orientation. Um, yes. Maybe unintentionally or even unconsciously. Okay, great. So um, maybe maybe in, in a closing word wrap for this introductory part, um, what are the, I, I would say, number two or three killer apps that the um, FOSD community or the communities came up with in the last couple of years in your opinion is there anything like a ready-made takeaway tool that you would um you know the interested listener might now uh, check out while listening to the to the um sc radio on this re uh, episode so, so do you mean a tool or a tool or an ide plugin or anything a kind of selling point that you want to mention right ahead like you mentioned you mentioned some 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 id like feature id for instance you mentioned this yeah that's uh that's um this uh feature id is this academic prototype that uh, implements the ideas of fosd best um and there's this uh, there are two uh, industrial strengths tools product line tools that support uh, many concepts of feature orientation that's pure variance from pure systems and gears from big lever and uh, people who are interested in variable software and improving the structure at a larger scale so people who try to to implement uh, features uh, modularly and who do not give up uh, should look at these tools okay so let's see whether this early interest that our listeners um to our episode pays off in the end so then let's get let's let, let's get down to the nitty-gritty details so to say um so we have been talking using throwing around the term feature um for the last couple of minutes um what is a feature actually is there a single notion of feature um is it a hard task to define it anyway um Let's see how you perform in, in this in this hard task. This is this is a very difficult task. So there are many notions and ideas of what a feature is. That is basically, or one reason is that it is an, a concept that was developed in different lines uh, of research in the past. And uh, the second reason for this difficulty is that it's inherently a fuzzy term because it's at the fringe, at the edge between the customer's mind. You know, requirements are an essentially a human computer interaction problem, right? And and the implementation, so that's yeah, the, the computer. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I can summarize you what what I think a feature is. So a feature is a unit of functionality um, that represents a design decision that realizes a requirement. So it's a kind of requirement, 
uh, and which is in a potential configuration option. So if you make design decisions, if you if you implement requirements, and if you you know would like to make things optional or alternative, then then these things are features. So in fact, features are uh, parts of the vocabulary of a domain. So what is a domain? Domain is like an application area. Uh, uh, and in a database domain, every database expert knows what a B tree is. And uh, that's a perfect example so for a feature. It's meant to. It's meant to know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think... to be an expert. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So a B tree is an index structure, essentially, to, to, to uh, you know, and everyone knows it without needing a specification. And if you say say him, okay, we have here a database system with a B-tree, then he knows a lot about the database system. Same for a non-blocking transaction. So we don't need a specification. And uh, that's also an interesting um, interesting point. And the key idea of FOSD compared to other development paradigms is to make these features, which are essentially in the mind of the customer and of the programmer and of all stakeholders and which uh, which appear in requirements documents and specifications etc to make them explicit in the software in the design and code base and this yields several benefits i guess this can we, we can we can leave it at this um um interesting definition uh but there i mean and we already mentioned a couple of these um key concepts so we've been using some other terms in the introductory part like um um domain analysis domain engineering you said there's a domain model and there is a domain space as you said there is an implementation space there is some kind of mapping going on between the domain space or problem space sorry that was the extra term um so um then we had this term abstraction abstraction mismatches we had the term feature models configuration um feature interaction so there are many uh, somehow I mean, uh, apparently the community has a has a rich kind of um, um, vocabulary to express itself. So, so what are the most important terms in your opinion? <laughs> maybe we can okay. just okay, we, this we step by step if you if you, if you want to, or maybe just your best five. <laughs> okay, we 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 start covering the whole field here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one one um, important thing to you know to to define what FOSD is is to to simply say it is a generative programming approach and I think you had an episode on generative programming by Christoph so, Janeski yeah. mm -hmm. and about the the so named book uh, so, so it's yeah. it's FOSD is not really uh, something different it's one generative programming approach and uh, the distinguishing property among other generative programming approaches is the fact that the features of the problem space map cleanly to the features of the solution place space so what what is the problem space the problem space is uh, essentially describes the, variab the the variability of your product line set, set, so to say so your software system so there you have features and relationships between features like if you select transaction management, then you have to select another feature. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. this kind of reasoning information, yeah. it's also called domain knowledge because somehow you model your domain. And the solution space is the uh, essentially the, the realization in implementation artifacts. So and the, the, the common situation in software engineering is that you have a complex mapping 
between the implementation artifacts and the features, so between the solution space and the problem space. So, and there's a whole community that looks at this issue, that's a tracing community, and they try to handle and manage and explore this complex mapping. So, for example, tra transaction management is implemented by many different fractions of classes, code pieces scattered across the entire uh, code base, and they try somehow to, you know, keep track of them. Build bridges support them. between you those and, and, and parts. Yes, and the idea of FOSD is to uh, to do it in a different way. They the idea of FOSD is to to make the mapping simple. So if you have a feature on the left side, so on the problem space, space side, yeah. right, then you would like to find it in a solution space. It would be very so. That's the ideal. That's the vision, right? Uh, if you have ten features on the left side and a problem space, then you would like to have. 10 modules on the right side and on the implementation side and then it's then it's getting very easy so for example you observe a, a bug in a certain feature so in transaction management or in, in printing so if you have a you know printing dialog and you observe a bug then where's this bug right the bug uh, is in a printing feature where's the printing feature and if you have one single module that is responsible for the printing feature then you just look there Uh, the same for evolution and all software engineering problems. So it makes things easier. Uh, the next thing is, once you have um, clean implementations of features, sometimes we say feature modules, then you can combine them in different ways by just by selecting them. So if a customer says, I would like to have feature A, B, C, not D, but E. Okay, then then so a selective configuration of right. Of a, then you of a pool. just assemble the modules, and you're not you don't have the problems uh, as with components that, you know, uh, the component contains code of many different features because you're not able to to pull it out, and uh, that's that's uh, the ideal. You know, that's the vision of FOSD, and for that you need, for example, proper modularization mechanisms, but. FOSD is not only about modularization; it's just it's, one it's, piece it's of one part of this But part. It, you know. I got the impression that it covers many more aspects of the software development cycle. But right, yeah, right. We, it's we not only about code. It's uh, the other thing you mentioned: domain engineering. So, what is domain engineering? It's the uh, the process or one process to to develop product lines. The observation is that when you develop a product line and you would like to do it efficiently, then you don't develop each member of the product line, so each product which has many similarities with the other products of the product line, you don't develop them from scratch, but you would like, you know, to have a, a reusable base, let's say, of feature modules, and then the the customer comes and says, I would like to have this product which with these properties, then you're okay, you need this module, this module, and this module, and you put it in your generator, and the generator produces the code. So the idea of domain engineering is to produce this reusable code base, and you have to spend a lot of effort and cost, but the idea is if you have many customers, then you save money at some point. So it's usually uh, not... Uh, a good idea to uh, do product line engineering if you have only one customer with one desired specification, then you don't, you know, develop reusable assets. But if you think in the future, then you should do that. That's. But we do not look too much at these uh, economic factors. But but it's that's common knowledge. So that's uh, domain engineering. 
feature interaction uh, we that's, can that's, a, that's, that's a hairy term actually because um, yes, so somehow it, it indicates that there is either a wanted or unwanted um, interaction yes. between these between the features yes. and mm. but how, how comes that there are interactions I mean there are some intended I guess because you compose them you assemble them as you say to a final product yes. configuration so but w why feature interaction so interesting to the um, community Yeah, that's that's interesting. Feature interactions comes from from a time. It comes, I think, it was coined in the 80s by the telecommunications industry, and there they had the situation that they implemented features in some language, and they had also this distributed scenario. So they had distributed systems, and when they implemented a feature, they didn't know what other features exist. So that's a completely different thing, like in a well-planned product line where you have a code base and there they observed okay I, I don't need another feature my feature works fine but another one implements a feature and then you get an under, uh, undesired situation even though the features in isolation worked fine and uh, then they got in trouble and uh, they looked uh, at specification and verification techniques to, to detect these situations because they were usually uh, um, they occurred at runtime so they had inif in, uh, infinite loops in, in phone systems and all these things. So it's nothing that you can catch with a compiler. That's a completely different world. Uh, but now once you, you know, now you have this notion of FOSD and if you have uh, decomposed your so software system into modules, which you can combine in many different ways, then of course you want to have... Uh, Uh, want to have certain interactions, yeah, right? So, the transaction feature should interact with the, with the, with the base database, with the database, you know, to you know to provide the ACID properties. But um, you don't want to have other undesired interactions. So there are many examples uh, where you you know once you can combine uh, your feature set in many different ways, then at some point you are not really sure if every combination leads to a correct program in, in, in many respects. So what does correctness mean? So you don't even know if you have type correct programs, uh, not to speak of behaviorally correct, <laughs> correct yeah. programs. So that's the point. In, 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 in product clients where you don't have models, where you just have one code base, the feature interactions are, you know, internally so that's you have your system and you do test it and you build it in a way that it works but once you have millions of combinations then you cannot test them all then you need other mechanisms somehow to predict feature interactions so then you have somehow to say uh, not how your whole system works but how individual features work in order to check if uh, in cooperation with another feature nothing is you know destroyed from from your behavior so that's um That's the background. That's the that's, that these are course. feature interactions, and uh, there are many. There's more uh, much research in this direction. There are interaction at structural level, semantic level, etc. But that's but mayb maybe too much. It's to probably to a bit too detailed. And interesting reader yes. will find some some resources yeah. on, on 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 this in in our material collection. But there's there's one catch word that pops up when whenever you you study or listen to um um, um FOSD guy or girl. Um, there's the optional feature problem. What, 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 what can I understand? But yeah, an that's, optional that's feature problem. 
that's an 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 very an, an interesting problem and uh my colleague Christian Kestner now in Philips University Marburg coins this term uh and we we work together on on this topic uh and Before this time, it was also called the feature interaction problem by Don Batory. So there, uh, there was a time so in 2006 to the, that to the notion of feature interaction. There is a particular category or class of feature interaction. It it, it is related, and we learned that uh, the optional feature problem and the feature interaction problem are two sides of the same coin. Ah. Uh, let me try to explain okay. it a bit, but uh, you need code examples. But uh, Look at uh, a database system. We have a transaction management, and we have a statistics feature. Mm -hmm. So the statistics feature provides For reporting um, or approach, uh, or you know logs ah, information okay. on, on the, the state of the database. So okay. you, um, so you would like to know how many transactions per seconds you have. You would like to know in which state the database is, uh, how large are the tables of the database, etc. And then you have Transaction management, which uh, um, ensures the ACID properties, so you you know you lock things, etc. And now um, you would like to have database systems with all combinations of features. You would like would like to have a database system without these features. Would like to have a database systems with both features and then with the individual features, so only statistics and only transactions. And the point is, when you implement that, you learn that you have to collect statistics about transactions. So the statistics feature has to know the transaction feature. And then there's a situation where you have to lock the process of collecting statistics because, you know, there are many transactions and uh, the lock has to be deterministic and so you need some locking. So the transaction feature has to know about the statistics feature. And that's correct. Both have to know it's each other. That's the intention but at some point. Because th that's the intention. But in a database system where you would like to have only statistics, then you don't need to know about transactions. That's the point. So what do you do? You have a, trans a statistics feature which knows transactions and a statistics feature that does not know transactions. The same from the other direction. So that's the the optional feature problem. It's difficult to make features optional because of implementation dependen dependencies. dependencies right? Yeah. So what is the relation to the feature interaction problem? So imagine a situation where you develop the statistics feature and the transaction feature in isolation. So they don't know about each, each other. And then you build them into your database system. So the result is that the behavior is not as intended. So when you have both features, you would like to lock the statistics feature and together uh, statistics you about the transaction feature. So you need additional code. And that's the code that resolves the feature interaction. So that's one simple example of of the you know duality between feature optional problem and feature interaction problem. It's a it's a quite a new insight that we have here. I also work with uh, Wolfgang Scholz here in, in, in the University of Passau that he looks at, at especially this duality. So it's very interesting. Yeah, but uh, I guess the, I guess this the, 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 the contrasting in, um, feature interaction and the option feature problem shows what kind of problems um, you try to tackle. Yeah? So I think that's the that's the the, the interesting um, aspect uh, about it. Shows how, how the, the structural software engineering world so people who think about software structure are connected to the guys that think about behavior and specifications like in the telecommunications industry. So at the end, 
you need software structures to, you know, to implement a specification and uh, your structures have to satisfy a specification. And if you have a specification and you don't have the structures, you, you have somehow to guess to implement this. And so that's, it's all connected. And in FOSD, the interesting thing is that these different lines of research somehow converged. And uh, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. As we talk about uh, convergence, I mean, uh, um, I personally first encountered the um, the term and the idea or one idea of feature orientation when I studied a copy of Janetsky's um, uh, generative programming in 2000, 2001. Can't remember correctly um, exactly, but um, and and from reading the book, um, I, I got a very strong impression that that uh, FOSD is about and we already talked about it, um, domain engineering. Um, like an, an idea which dates back to the to the to the early 80s, um, and and another like the second pillar, so to say, is mo modeling variability, like in in ex ante to developing um, a software product or a software artifact, um, and is this the, the the only idea somehow in feature orientation? Is this the only current that went into the, the what is called FOSD? Um, these days, or are there different inspirations and 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 currents of research that went into this idea? No, no, that's FOSD is more than that. So, uh, the first observation is that FOSD uh, is somehow concerned with all phases of the software lifecycle. So it's about analysis, it's about design, it's about implementation, it's about testing, evolution, etc. So it's uh, not only about variability modeling, right? And uh, uh, that, that's an important thing. So uh, historically, there were many different lines that eventually led to the notion of FOSD. So we already talked about feature interactions. So the people thought about features, but they did not make them explicit in their design. They just document they just experience. Talk, the right, the they talked about the behavior. behavior yeah. So they the had things they, they did they not, did right, the symptoms. And, yeah. and they specified features, but they did not make them explicit. Their desire was not improving software structure and automation, but uh, their desire was, you know, to build safety-critical systems. Then there was this line of research on variability modeling and domain engineering. The people thought about how to make software variable, and they looked mainly at the fringe between customer and requirements engineering or requirements engineer. So they 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 need needed methods to describe what kind what variability do we need and which which combinations are allowed. And once they had this information, they stopped with the idea of features and used conventional design and implementation methods. So they they lost the information which feature belongs or is implemented by which code. And then there was the third line of research which which is now part of FOSD. Um, uh, several peoples in, in, in the 90s looked at um, modularization mechanisms, how to, to make software, um, how to structure software at a larger scale 
how to um, represent requirements and architectural information in the code base. And there were guys like Don Batori with Skinwalker, Harold Osher with subject-oriented programming, and also uh, many aspect uh, people in, of the aspect-oriented programming community looked at this problem. They would like to make things explicit, aspects, concerns, features. And features are concerns or uh, are related to aspects, um, yeah, we, we, in we some come, way. Come back to, 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 yes. to this crucial And uh, these three lines show that FOSD is not only about variability, it's about you know, building software in terms of elemental building blocks. These building blocks map to requirements, map to features, and this way you can automate the uh, generation, the production, the construction of software just by a user specification. The user knows what the features are. That's the interface to the mind of the customer. He knows, you know, I need uh, printing. I need, you know, you know, spell checking, and uh, he does not know about components, interfaces, etc. And you need a generator that assembles the corresponding code. And if this code is scattered, you're lost. Mm -hmm. um, because you just mentioned the term building block, um, I. I when pre uh, preparing for the for the episode, I stumbled across a saying of Don Batry that he, uh, I guess it was um, in his keynote speech that he gave at the uh, last year's FOSD workshop, uh, and he said that initially he thought about when he introduced stepwise refinement and his initial like contributions um, to the idea of, of feature orientation, that he thought about these building blocks, so calling them uh, Lego. Um, so. Um, this 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 is a ni I mean a nice and catchy picture uh, to bear in mind um, when we talk about feature modules even and th this idea of this third kind of um, current uh, that you that you want to capture features yes. um, more appropriately at the implementation level yeah. so to say so but the point is this this picture is nice to explain the idea of automation you know you have these these building blocks and then you you, you put put them together and then you have your legal figure. Uh, but software is different. You you know you cannot put uh, things like transaction management behind an interface. So you need some kind of cross-cutting mechanisms. You need some kind of generative approach if you want. And bigger stuff in '94, so that's a pioneer of software use, I think, said that only the combination of components, which are these you know nice encapsulated software parts black boxes. black boxes and a you know generative approach to somehow adapt them because they have the problem the bigger the components grew the more you have from reusing it but you're not able to reusing it because it's too specific and then you tend to make your components smaller uh, and then you can reuse them but you gain not much of reusing and that's uh, I think it's a called the library scaling problem and FOP is exactly the sweet spot he talked about in '94. He said we need a combination of, you know, I, I translated to our word of building blocks, and we need some generative techniques. That's that's what we do. We we use you know kinds like uh, things like mixins to do the generative stuff, and we uh, try to encapsulate things as much as possible. And of course, there are a lot of technical details to how do we achieve that but what are the pitfalls of doing so and uh, yeah. but maybe maybe coming back and now that we somehow learned that um feature orientation is not only about um 
programming as such it's not about um, domain engineering as such um, it covers so many different aspects that you mentioned um, and and um, it appears that software product lines and product families they benefit from from FOSD as a kind of let's say um, practical or tangible approach to 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 achieve um, software product line uh, design uh, but um, is there a, a kind of established or a set of recommended um, um, process models or ideas how to structure a feature oriented software development process um, when it which guides me as a developer me as a as a development team um, to Yeah, follow these guidelines and, 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 and take advantage of all these bits and pieces offered in all the different phases of software development? Yes, uh, the first easy thing is you could use a tool like Pure Variance or Feature IDE which which helps you in, in structuring your process. Um, FOSD essentially is based on domain engineering, so that's a general process of process of developing product lines, but it has some distinguishing properties. You know, you have this simple mapping, and um, there has not been much work in the FOSD community on thinking about project management, mm -hmm. uh, thinking about teams and these things. And uh, recently I'd learned there, there's work on feature-driven development, yeah. which is very related, but that's uh, uh, work in this direction goes more uh, or, or, or thinks more about how to organize your teams so that you can develop feature-oriented. And um, that fits perfectly well, the idea of FOSD, and it's unfortunate that the terminology is uh, messed up, but um, of course we should um, join forces, but currently the FOSD community looks not much at processes. It's it's interested in variability modeling and testing and implementation and verification. Not so much in processes, but I think this has to come. Yeah. So uh, that was actually a question I wanted to come up with because when, um, for instance, when we think of um, Panas and his work on modularity or kerning, coining the term modularity, which was later taken up extensively by the um, aspect-oriented community or aspect-AO um, uh, community, claiming to introduce new levels of modularization or a more appropriate modularization. The funny thing is that modularity was always also linked to the work process of, or let's say, the division of labor in software development. So it wasn't, I mean, somehow it's, it, it seems that only the, um, the t technical um, implications of modularity um, remained in the in our mindsets and in the ideas that came up in 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 a software engineering and programming language um, communities in the in in the last two decades. Uh, but but still, um, it, when I, when I, whenever I read the papers, I always find it interesting how he reflects on the working process. So I was always wondering whether there is in the FOSD community. I mean, you already answered the question somehow, but um, if if there is this linkage to 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 uh, um, yeah project management in software development um, or these recent trends in agile development uh, how this links um, and especially because there are these intriguing um, links between or let's say the the yeah the the adopt the same um, term like feature teams etc yeah so but uh, as you say there is no explicit link between the two communities and and there is no let's say that the work might be compatible at some point and it might be supportive in either way but there is no established practice or 
um, common knowledge on, on how this would map to to um, a feature-oriented development process, so to say. Yes. Not really. There's not, uh, as I said, there's not much work. Uh, one one remark is that in the FOSD community, uh, the desire to make features explicit, to put them in modules, was you know to combine them in different ways. And by the way, to reuse code, it was not so much about multi-team development, that which is another goal of modularity, right? And uh, the point is that if you increase the level of reuse, you have to do reuse on a on a fine grain, even at the level of statements. And uh, then you need kind of generative techniques. And at the end, it's very similar what we see in the aspect community. It's a kind of generative approach, which, of course, people might, dis might disagree. And, of course, it depends on the kind of AOP you look at. Um, yeah, but... Um, Once you have fine-grade reuse, you lose the ability to um, to end really encapsulate what's what's in your module. So you have a lot of assumptions about uh, other modules, and you with 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 uh, SpecJ you cannot really do separate type checking and compilation. And currently, we look at uh, these issues in feature-oriented languages, which are much simpler than aspect-oriented languages like AspectJ, right? Uh, and uh, we we observed that it's possible, but currently that was not the focus. And once you have the ability to to do separate compilation, then you can really support a feature-oriented process in the sense that you can have feature teams that really develop features in isolation and, and assemble them. Uh, but then you also get to the situation uh, in, in the 80s in the telecommunications industry where you know have this distributed feature composition scenario where you don't really know what other features are around. You are, have the freedom to, to develop them at the other end of the world and assemble them in binary form. And then you have really to... You don't have a compiler or composer that can check things. So you need... Then yeah, you need the, the, the verification techniques, specification level. techniques, yeah. yes. And, uh, of course, there's work in this direction. So that's, um, uh, don't understand me wrong, that's desirable. You want to have that, but you have to support this well. And I don't think that the integration with of FOSD techniques with uh, processes like FDD or feature teams is, I don't think that it's a challenge. The challenge is, at the end, Uh, to to solve the problems which and are all yeah, the time around. So, so if if either side can um, contribute to solving the overarching problem, so to say, then yes. So, so if you if you look at feature interactions, that it's a very hot topic uh, because now we are able to structure software this way. At this point, we end this first episode on feature-oriented software development with our guest Sven Upper. In a second installment, airing in approximately two weeks from now, Easy Radio will bring you the second part of the interview. Sven will then provide you with hints on programming language support. Also, Sven will talk about feature-oriented tooling, for instance, IDE support based on Eclipse. We hope that you enjoyed the first episode on FOSD. Please stop by the next time for the follow-up episode. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. SE Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. 
If you want more information about the podcast and the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website, or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons, or by talking about us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also support us by joining the team and shouldering some of the work. To contact the team, please send an email to team at se-radio.net, or if your feedback is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. 